And uh, so we're just going to go into early June to finish off this series on the blessed life. In a few moments, I'm going to take you to John chapter 12. And if you've got a Bible and you want to follow it, it will be on the screen as well. And Chris will put it up. But you may just want to go there as I give a few words of introduction into this message this morning on the blessed life. And as, as Josh reminded us, the title this morning is a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you to shout out at me. But the title this morning is, Am I Generous? Am I Generous? And so, just a reminder that we're, we're just encouraging people to increasingly expect to believe for the blessed life over them. We've been impacted uh, by the teachings of Pastor Robert Morris, who is particularly graced in this area. And we, in respect to him, have been using some of his outlines in terms of reflecting the message. Don't tell him, but I've shifted one of his points around this morning. Um, I've kept them all, but two's one and one's two. But anyway, don't, don't ring him or send him an email. <clears throat> Just works better for me. The primary point, which I hope we've been grasping, of the ministry of the blessed life, is that the blessed life doesn't come by coercing. Twisting people's arms, putting their arms under the back, it comes by positioning. And the reality is that it inevitably is linked with a giving life. As we position ourselves to live as givers, it inevitably brings us to the place of being blessed. It's just how God works. He's made us to give. He's made us to share. He's made us to be generous. And the reality is, sadly, that believers at times don't enter into the revelation of the generous life. I trust this morning's ministry for a few minutes will help us do just that. Let me remind you of the definition of blessed as found in the Amplified Bible. I told the story a few weeks ago. She was there last week. We were having a, chat, a laugh with her at Beth Shan. But on the Tuesday night teaching evenings that I'm running there, um, there's a lady that every, and we encourage people to read the scriptures, there's a lady and every time she reads, she reads from the Amplified Bible. When she first started, I thought, how long is this going to take? Because it amplifies some of the readings. But in, in uh, Matthew 5, Jesus describes some of the aspects of being blessed. And in the Amplified Bible, it says, to be blessed is to be happy and enviably fortunate, spiritually prosperous. That is, in a state in which one enjoys and finds satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward conditions. The blessed life, friends, is not just a feel-good moment. The blessed life is exactly that. It's a life. And sometimes, as we said last time, it's not just speaking about ease. As we were led into worship this morning, there was a reminder that maybe you're having to process some situations at the moment, some problems, some challenges, some obstacles. In all of that, you can still be incredibly blessed and know that God is with you. So we've already looked at the hearts, we've looked at the tests, and last time we looked at the first. And we sang that this morning. When we're asking God to have his way in our life, then we're inevitably saying, Lord, you're first in our life. And in that message, we're reminding ourselves that, the, that what we give to God must be offered 
And it's an opportunity for us to example something to following generations. Remember that passage we finished off of with in the Old Testament where the son said to the father, Father, why are you giving this? Now free from the bondage of Egypt, he reminded his son that it wasn't always like this. But that the people of God have been delivered under God's mighty hand. And when you never get used to being saved and realize that God has delivered us out of Egypt to type in the Bible for bondage and sin, then it inevitably brings you to the place where you forever want to give back to God and example it to others. It may be your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson saying, why are you doing that? It's a great opportunity to sow something to them that they will pick up and carry in their generation as well. So let's go to John 12. And the first eight verses, and I'm going to read them if you don't mind. And uh, this is from the New International Version. And then just a few thoughts from this to answer the question, or try to, am I generous? So six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Don't you just love those little throwaway lies in the Bible? Here was a dinner that was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, with Jesus. Then Mary, that's his other sister, took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to it and what was put in. Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she would save this perfume to the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have Now, John 12 is one of my favorite passages in the whole of the Gospels. I love the abandonment of Mary. And we'll try and tease that out as we go through these verses. Let me just set the scene. Uh, Here was a godly family that lived in Bethany. uh, A little village, a little town just away from the capital of Jerusalem. And Mary and Martha's sisters and Lazarus, their brother, loved God. If you go back to John chapter 11, the previous chapter, you'll find that Lazarus had died. And it seemed as though Jesus delayed in getting to the situation. And when he got there, uh, they said to him in verse 21, Lord, if only you had been here. And many of you know what happened next. Jesus went to the tomb and called Lazarus out. People reminded him, that uh, he'd been dead four days. And I love the old-fashioned, when I say the old-fashioned, the older version of the Bible, the King James, where it says, Behold, he stinketh. And, uh, (laughs) And after four days dead, they're absolutely right. Uh, But Jesus, in a spirit of faith, called Lazarus from the tomb. There's a great economy in that passage, because uh, Lazarus had been mummified, as was the tradition of Eastern culture, and when he walked out of the tomb, Jesus then said, he could have just had all the 
the, the bandages and the clothing off him. But he said to people, set him free, cut him free. There's a great economy in the way that Jesus works, even in the miraculous at times. But Jesus cried out to Lazarus, come forth. Chapter 11, verse 25 has a spiritual meaning. I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believes in me will never die. It's a verse that we often quote around Easter time, but it's a verse that is relevant to all of our situation. The reality was that at a further point in time, Lazarus physically did die, and this time, no resurrection. But here's the truth, friends, that Jesus was seeking to communicate to us that as believers this morning if you have come to faith and if you haven't there'll be an opportunity before the service finishes we were dead you may say I didn't feel dead but you were dead not physically but spiritually Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins it may be that the first time you came to church you didn't get it you didn't understand what life was you didn't appreciate or comprehend that people could be free in worship and play their instruments unto God You didn't get it because you were dead. But when you became alive, it was like the penny dropped. It was like the scales had gone from your eyes. And the Bible says that when we become born again, we become alive inside. The theologians describe that as regeneration. It's the greatest miracle that can ever take place in the earth. If I can say, friends, without any sense of exaggeration, it's greater than somebody being physically raised from the dead. Because they will face death, ultimately. But when you come to Jesus Christ and receive him into your life, and you are made alive, God says that you receive eternal life. Whatever happens to you in the physical, you've got to be with the Lord forever. I'm the resurrection and the life. And those that believe in me, they will never die. There's an amazing difference, friends, at funerals between somebody that's died in the faith and somebody that hasn't. Because people have died in the faith. It is just a passing over into eternal life to be with the Lord. The ultimate expression of that is yet to come. But those that have died before us have gone to be with the Lord. They are enjoying life and life in all of its fullness, and life in all of eternity. So Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And we come to this passage, and they're having a party, a banquet, a feast, whatever you want to describe it, in the honor of Jesus. How about having a party, and Jesus, we'd like you to come to the party, and the reason is because you raised my brother from the dead. That seems a pretty good reason for a party, doesn't it? So they're having this party, they're reclining, they're talking, they're sharing And then Mary, Lazarus' sister, an ordinary person, we don't even hear about her in the scriptures, being in leadership or running a church, but in an incredible heartfelt abandonment, she gets hold of this pint of pure nard, described as an expensive perfume, poured it over the feet of Jesus and wiped it with with her hair, breaking every cultural protocol in the Jewish culture as a female As a woman, she didn't worry about it unashamedly, in great humility. She poured it in generosity over Jesus' feet to express the fact that she loved him. She loved him. She loved him. 
So here's three things about generosity as God digs deep into our lives again and asks us the question in response to this story, am I generous? Number one, generosity, it's extravagance. It's extravagance. It's not about the amount, but it's about the attitude. The Bible describes King David in the Bible uh, wanting to build a temple. God says to him, no, you're not building the temple because you're a man of war. But I want you to set everything up for Solomon to successfully build the temple. And Bible commentators have driven down what David gave to that project. And in today's terms, it was millions of pounds. To set up Solomon for a win to rebuild the temple. But also in the Bible, in Luke's gospel, we find a widow with two coins. Or again, two mites. And in Luke 21 verse 2, Jesus draws attention to her. And he made a comparison between the hypocrisy of the religious and the sincerity of the widow. And the reason that he drew attention to her, even though she only put two coins seemingly a little into the offering is this, that she gave all that she had. She was incredibly generous. And the reality is sometimes, friends, you can find somebody that in this world's eyes seems to have little, who is very generous, and somebody that has a lot that is very ungenerous. It's about the attitude of the heart, as we were reminded in week one of this ministry. If you read the footnotes of um, John chapter 12, you will find that um, this perfume was very, very expensive. And what used to happen in Eastern times is that perfume sometimes would be saved. It was like a nest egg, an investment. It even indicates that Mary was perhaps saving this to bless Jesus in his burial. But sometimes it would be literally used as a saving. And it describes in the footnotes at the bottom of the Bible that this perfume was worth 300 denarii. In other words, a day's wages. With a few days off for bank holidays and feasts, Jewish culture, they work about 300 days a year. 300 denarii. Now, the average salary in the United Kingdom, it works out at around about 26,500 pounds. I can hear people saying, yeah, right. But... That's how it works. Around about 26,500. In the East Midlands, the average salary is less than that. Um, But let's say for a round figure, 25,000 pounds. And in today's terms, friends, she poured 25,000 pounds over the feet of Jesus. That's what the story is saying. That's generosity. That is generosity. Now, please hear me. Because I don't want people going out of church this morning saying, you know, Phil got up this morning, says, and you go on to your husband, who's not a believer, and say, you know the block at our church that we're preaching this morning, he said, we've got to empty all our bank accounts, all of our savings, you've got to make sure what your pension is, and you've got to give it all to Jesus tomorrow. I'm not saying that. But the reality is, as we've heard from Pastor Morris in recent occasions, he might say that to somebody. He might say it. And there's an illustration on this particular passage where one of the elders in Robert Morris's church was one day working out how much he was worth. Businessman, entrepreneur. And God did say to him, would you give it all to me? And it was a great story where 
he gave all to God and God blessed him incredibly. So I am not saying, I'm not saying this morning that God is telling you that everything that you've got from your accounts today, you're to give to the Lord. He might do. What I am saying, friends, is that we are to give everything that God wants us to give. That's generosity. And as we've already heard, there are some things that don't even set us up for being generous. They are the Lord's, the tithe. And so we could go on. But when we give everything that God wants us to give, we prove the reality of Matthew 6.19, that where our heart is, there our treasure will be also. And it will inevitably make you a generous person. Morris speaks about three levels of giving, tithes, offerings, and extravagant or disturbing or challenging offerings, where we give above and beyond. Generosity is extravagant. Number two, generosity is enemy. The polar opposite to generosity is selfishness. It's mine. It's mine. What we've already read in the word of God of what belongs to God. And he says, it's mine. Have you ever, when your kiddies were young, they maybe still are, and you are encouraging your little one to share something with the little child from next door or up the street or a nephew or a cousin. And it seems to be going all, all, all very well until all of a sudden you say, mine, 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 mine. In other words, all of a sudden they realize it's not a good idea to share what is theirs in generosity because they've come to the understanding that it's mine. Now, I know every parent, rather than having a 10-minute discussion on the blessings of generosity, says, oh, give it to him anyway. You know? <laughs> For peace and quiet. But you know that sometimes in immaturity, our believers can be walking around, stomping the feet before God, saying, it's mine. God says, it's his. It's his. And selfishness pushes back on generosity. And here we have Judas Iscariot saying to Jesus and the crowd, oh, so why didn't she give this money to the poor? It was worth the year's wages, Lord. Instead of pouring it on your feet, that was a waste. She should have given it to the poor, even though he didn't care about the poor. Now, please, can I just ask that as I'm at the door afterwards, please don't ask me why Jesus ever picked Judas Iscariot in the first place. Because we could be there a long time. This guy's taking money out of the bag. He had no care for the poor. He eventually betrayed Jesus and Jesus made him one of the twelve. It's one of the enigmas of the scriptures. It really is. But somehow, for me, it was just Jesus' incredible heart trying to draw this guy to him. And uh, as you notice, we've sort of changed our offering uh, um, um, sort of containers in recent times because sadly we've even had people in Arena Church help themselves to the offering on occasions. Um, but, but the reality is, it's not good. Generosity is enemy. Judas was selfish. He didn't care for Mary. He didn't care for Jesus. He didn't care for the poor. He didn't care for anything, but he tried to put a spin on her motive. And 
It's just amazing why he did it. He was trying to cover up his own sense of selfishness. He stole money from the bag, though he was the keeper. It seems though that when Jesus was traveling around at times, people would give some gifts to help the ministry. He was the treasurer of it, and Jesus knew that he was taking money out of the bag. And there can't be a worse crime than that. I'll mention absolutely no references whatsoever, but just recently, a pastor friend that I know had that happen in his church where the person that was in charge of the finances was taking money to themselves. It caused great pain in the church. Can you think of anything worse than somebody robbing from the Lord's money? But there's Judas Iscariot. Why wasn't it given to the poor? It seems a good question. Listen, friends, when you seek to be generous, you will have people coming to you with holy comments that seem very plausible that want to push back on your generosity. But actually, their words are cynical, critical, and even cutting Because it's trying to mask their lack of generosity. And here's the truth. A generous church will on occasions be criticized. Let's be generous anyway. Let's be generous anyway. Our motives on occasions will be questioned. But the Bible says motives are weighed by the Lord's. And everything that we seek to do, as long as it's as unto the Lord, with him first place in our lives, God will take it to himself. To impute a wrong motive on somebody is simply to mask your own problem. It seems weird that generosity gets criticized, but it does. It does. Oh, it's all right for him. Oh, it's all right for her. There must be another reason. They're trying to get right Christian. Uh, Whatever, you know, so it goes on. They're trying to get a name for themselves. Don't be surprised at times if your generosity is criticized. Don't be surprised at times if something seeks to stand against it, that would seek to be cutting and seek to hurt, because what it's trying to get you to do is to draw in the real of generosity and be like the person that's bringing the criticism. Me. And God says you need to see it for what it is, press through and continually be generous anyway. There will be an enemy. And so I encourage us not to fall for that, not to bow down to its spirit, but to continually reach out and to bless the Lord. Thirdly, generosity is endurance. Jesus said, Leave her alone. Can you remember when he said that in John's Gospel as well, when the lady was found in adultery? And people were ready to stone her, all right? Now he says, he says to her, go and turn and do this no more. But he said to the people that were accusing, leave her alone. So Mary, in this absolute wanton expression of generosity, pouring over Jesus giving generously back to him something of how she'd been blessed, Jesus said, leave her alone. If you read Mark 14, the parallel passage, it says at this juncture in the scriptures, truly, I tell you, 
wherever the gospel is preached through the world, what she, Mary, has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are, 2,000 years plus after it happened, friends, and the preacher's standing up this morning still talking about an act of generosity. I wonder if we can find people in Arena Church this morning that will so live in the power of acts of generosity that even when you are no longer on this earth, people will still be talking about it. That's the power of extravagant, generous, blessed life giving. You say, well, that's never happened. It happens all the time, friends. One of my great missional heroes is C.T. Studd, a late 19th century sportsman of great renown and uh, cricketer, international cricketer. He came from aristocracy. He had uh, uh, inherited wealth, friends, which today was worth several million pounds. But he came to know Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, God's not saying it to everybody, but he said to C.T. Studd, I want you to give all this away for the cause of mission. And here we are, friends, 120, 130 years later, and World at WEC, the Bible College down in North London, still working, the founder being C.T. Studd, the great motto of Jesus Christ gave everything to me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's the power of generous living. And so we could go on. People all over the world, John Lang, who was a Scottish brethren, who used to run the Lang Construction Company, and uh, was what could have been, in his day, a, a multimillionaire. In his will, he had £349 because he'd given it all generously to the kingdom of God without people knowing. And so he could go on. People, friends, whose lasting legacy of generosity lives on to bless people today. The story of Spurgeon's uh, homes, that again, he's still a very respected charity today. And all those years ago, as Spurgeon was preaching in Victorian uh, uh, London, a congregation minimally of 5,000 every Sunday, planted 60 churches in the southeast of London, an incredible work of God. He used to have his sermons printed in the Times on the Monday. How about that? An incredible leader, preacher, communicator, wrote books by the score. And they were praying. They used to meet every Monday night for the prayer. And when he was preaching on a Sunday, he used to have people praying. He used to call it the boiler room. And they were praying. They needed money because they wanted to start a boy's home in that, in that era, as you can tell, still a need for, sadly, even all these years later, for people to be helped. But in that context, in Victorian inner city London, a great need to help boys and girls find some sense of, of security in life. And they wanted a boy's home. And uh, there was a lady that had it moved on her heart. She wasn't even a member of his church. In fact, she was a widow, uh, sorry, a widow of an Anglican vicar. And uh, she sort of became aware of this situation and uh, she gave a cheque for £20,000. So uh, C.H. Spurgeon and one of his deacons decided that they ought to chase this lady down, find out where she lived and go and say thank you. And so they knocked on the door and uh, they said to this lady, we've come to say thank you for your very, very generous gift to help us to establish a boy's home for needy kids in East London. We're so thankful for your gift of £200. So, so thankful. She says, oh, £200. Did I make a mistake on the cheque? I meant to give 20000 And 20000 in today's money, friends, is a million pounds plus. That money came in, Spurgeon's home still runs today. The power of the legacy of generous giving. 
Two things as we close. Generosity should always come out of gratitude, which of course it did with Mary. And as I alluded to earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Don't ever get used to being safe, friends. At our recent Assemblies of God conference, a magnificent three and a half days in Bradford with a great sense of God's spirit amongst us. John Kirby shared his story very briefly on the Wednesday night. John is the founder and executive leader of CAP, Christians Against Poverty. And when I, met, I went up to Bradford some time before uh, to meet a, a, a guy that works there, and I bumped into John. He was straight into my face about getting more church. I'm like, well, whoa, can tell this guy can, you know, is a leader. But on that night at the conference, he was very vulnerable. He was very tearful. And uh, he shared the story of Cap. He shared his own story. And if you've never read it, then uh, get his book. Uh, over 25 years ago, a businessman, uh, his marriage failed. He went bankrupt. He had a bacon sandwich for his Christmas dinner. He was trying to run after, uh, look after two little kiddies in a, in a, a damp room. Everything seemed to have gone wrong and in massive debts. And he found Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And Jesus lifted him out of his death, out of his sin, out of what the Bible calls the miry clay, and gave him a grace to lead an amazing organization that now has multiple operations taking place through local churches all over the country, helping people out of similar messes to what John found himself in. I'm going past their exhibition stand at about 10 o'clock that evening. John was there. I thanked him uh, for the ministry. I spoke to him about a meeting I had with the Midlands representative. He was encouraged because I said, John, your message is going to go out to 200 leaders on Monday morning and they'll be able to contact people if they're interested. Oh, thanks ever so much. And I said to him as I walked away, I said, John, thanks for your story. It's clearly evident you have never got used to being saved. Let's not get overly sophisticated, friends. Let's not sort of pick over things at times that rob us of the fact that once we were dead, but Jesus Christ made us alive. And when we live in the revelation of what he's lifted us from and what he saved us from, we are inevitably generous. He has lifted us up into heavenly places. He has given us eternal life. And out of that gratitude, he has made us his masterpiece for his workmanship, for the special works that he's created us to do. So when we've done growth track, where we talk about knowing God, finding freedom, discovering your purpose and making a difference, that totally aligns with the purpose of God in the word. You're his masterpiece with a particular contribution to bring to the body of Christ. Friends, out of that, gen- out of that gratitude, a great, generous heart. It's a complete contradiction of terms, I have to say. To say, I'm so glad that Jesus has saved me, but it's mine, mine, mine. It's all his. It's all his. It's all his. Secondly, friends, generosity is giving and expecting no return. I've heard Christians say, I I did deals with God, I bargained with God. I can't find that in the Bible, I have to say. What I find this morning is the confessions we brought in worship. They say, God, it's all about you and your first. And the reality is, friends, generosity is not, God, if I give to you. Generosity dies to that and says, I'm going to be generous anyway. In fact, Lord, as you lead me, I'm going to be outrageously generous. I'm going to pour over needs and situations. 
I'm going to determine that by your help, I'm even going to leave a lasting legacy. And God says, when people come to me like that, because I'm the reward of those that earnestly and diligently seek me, it's inevitable that they'll be blessed. Inevitable. And so, Arena Church, let's come this morning to ask ourselves that question. Am I generous? We've looked at the extravagance of generosity. We've looked at the enemy of generosity. Don't be surprised when it comes. And we've looked at the enduring quality of generosity that can literally live on beyond your life. Our Arena Behaviours book has recently been revamped. And one of the core values of our church, unsurprisingly, is generosity. And what we do is we write down a little outline and then there's four or five things under each value that express what this means in terms of how we live. Let me read them to you with regard to generous living. We will recognize that we are blessed by God's amazing generosity to us and so be liberated to the journey of a generous life. We will always take opportunities to give out rather than hold back. We will allow generosity of heart to pervade Every area and attitude of our lives. We will understand that generosity is never determined by how much we've got, but by what we do with what we've got. And we will be intentionally generous. As the great Methodist leader John Wesley said, doing all we can, by all the means we can, in all the ways that we can, in all the places that we can, at all the times that we can, to all the people that we can, for as long as we can. Amen. Amen. We will be generous. So the question is not for me to answer this morning. The question is simply for me to pose. But I would ask that we find a quiet place with the Lord. And if this is an area that you're wrestling with, I encourage you this morning on the authority of God's word to move into the revelation of a generous life. There will be times, friends, when it will be challenging. There will be times when it will be a gulp. There will be a times when you will give beyond what you feel that you can do. But I want to tell you, the blessing of living generously is incredible. And in response to the word this morning, let's seek to bring an affirming yes from our hearts. Because when we live generously, we inevitably live the blessed life. Let's pray.